This day in society is often referred to and remembered as Mother's Day, or as we would say in the United Kingdom, Mothering Sunday, although that has already happened in the month of March. But what is Mother's Day? It is the simple setting aside of a day to remember and to honor our mothers and the sacrifices they have made for us. No doubt that this day is important to many of us, whether it is visiting or giving gifts to the motherly figures within our family, or perhaps sadly remembering those motherly individuals who are no longer with us. No doubt our emotions can be strong on such a day as this. But the world has its own idea of what a mother is and how a mother should behave toward her children, how a mother should behave toward her husband, how a mother should act in society. But to get right into the subject that we have for today, the Scriptures of truth have much to tell us about the example of mothers. And that is true. When we come to Scripture, not only is there that spiritual instruction for us as believers in general, but there is instruction for those who are the mothers within society. I was reading Richard Baxter's Christian directory last evening on these themes. And the opening words of one of his directions to parents, he gives many directions. I lost count, I think, at about 15 or so, and I think there's more. But this stood out to me, these opening words. He said simply, speaking to fathers and mothers, he said, let your own example teach your children. Let your own example teach your children. How simple that is. How true and important that is. But, O oh parent, O oh believer, how ludicrous it would be for a preacher to say, do as I preach, but don't do as I do, because I don't listen to my preaching. I do the opposite. We would find it crazy that such a preacher would come out with such a statement, but we find that happening constantly across the church of Christ. But how ridiculous it would be for you as a Christian parent in instructing your child in holiness and righteousness and godliness to say, son, daughter, do as I say, but don't follow my example. Oh, how crucial our example is to this sinful and wicked society. How crucial our godly example is in the workplace and in the church, but especially in the family setting a godly example to our children and to our grandchildren. What was Joshua's great proclamation in John 24 and the verse 15? It says there, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the floods, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. And Joshua says, But as for me and my house we will serve the Lord. And dear believer, that ought to be the cry of each of us regarding our houses, regarding our families, that as far as we have that influence and that godly influence within our families, we will serve the Lord. That is our mandate as believers. But that should also be our duty as the children of the Lord to serve Him that we and our spouses, and our families would serve the Lord. This week of the minister's week of prayer, our attention was drawn to this verse. It's important. 
its importance. And believer, is it the cry of your own heart that you and your house will serve the Lord? As we delve into the subject that we have this morning, this is not merely a topic just for the mothers among us. Therefore, the men can put their feet up and they can have a nap. These lessons apply to us all. And later on, we will come back to consider the men. But as we come to consider this this morning, motherly examples in godliness, let me say that we can learn much from biblical mothers. Both women and men can learn from motherly figures within the church of Christ. And these individuals may not be formally teaching. They may not be formally preaching. But as we've already outlined, they live by example. There are godly lives in view that we, whoever we are, can learn from. And we need to remember that. And we need to apply that within our lives. That as we come to 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah, there's an application here for mothers and for women, but there is also lessons that us men can learn. And so I want us to consider this morning motherly examples in godliness. Motherly examples in godliness, there are three examples that I want to draw your attention to. And when we think of the readings this morning, uh, you'll have in mind where we're going to be turning to. But firstly, we see a mother who sought the Lord. A mother who sought the Lord. First Samuel chapter 1, we have Hannah in view. At this point in time, she was not a mother. She desired to be a mother. But in God's will, and God is sovereign in all of these things, she was not a mother, but she would be by the grace of God. And in the opening verses of this chapter, we have her introduction. We have a harsh treatment at the hands of her husband's other wife, Penina. And so, therefore, we have in view the positiveness of Scripture toward a man having two wives. No, we don't. Elkanah had two wives. That is not Scripture teaching us that this is to be the norm, that this is to be the way that we live our lives. That is not what we have here. And polygamy is not in accordance with the Word of God. And in this instance and in others, we have the conflict that polygamy causes. These two wives, one was criticizing and abusing, we could say, and provoking the other to make her fret, to bring her down. It's a marriage marked by polygamy, marked by sin. It involved one fruitful wife, one barren wife. These things are subject to the sovereign will of God, but it led to a conflict within the family home. If you turn to verse 6, and of course, Scripture speaks about one man and one woman being the formula for marriage, and that ought not to change. But in verse 6 of 1 Samuel 1, we have these words, and her adversary also provoked her sore. Notice that phrase, and her adversary. There was affliction, there was adversity, distress, tribulation, trouble coming out of this. All words that are connected with the Hebrew term translated here as adversary. Paniner was an enemy of Hannah. That is what we see here. That's what we're finding. There should have been a unity and a love and a bond within the home, but because of sin, that was not the case. And sin within a home 
whatever form that sin takes, it causes conflict. It causes problems. And dear believer, we must flee from such sin. We must desire Christ to be the head of our home, to be that center within our marriages, within our families. We must obey His will. We must obey His commandments. And here, because of this polygamy, that was not the case, although they still went and worshiped the God of heaven. But we must flee sin. But because of God's will to shut her womb and her adversary opposing her, we see in the verse 6, Hannah fretted. She was troubled. This was not a one-off little statement. This was not a one-off criticism. This was something that continued constantly, constantly. And this is the idea that we get here. Her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret. It was not one-off. It was a constant thing. And if you are constantly at somebody, constantly bringing them down, constantly criticizing them, what effect does that have upon them? Dear believer, we should never do that. We should flee from that. We should flee from that. Hannah was going to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, verse 7, as the command was in obedience to the Lord. And as she went to the house of the Lord, as she went to worship the Lord, what was her adversary doing? Provoking her, making her angry, grieving her. And the example of Panina is not an example for any woman or any Christian, Christian or not. Whether you are a believer or not, this woman is not an example. It's an example to avoid an example to avoid. I believe this timing is most significant. They went up to the house of the Lord. The whole purpose of our great adversary, the devil, is to distract us from the importance of the house of God and the significance of spiritual matters within our lives. I remember hearing of an individual who was so taken up by a particular matter uh, that uh, they spend time talking to individuals on the telephone and uh, being uh, quite uh, forward and being strong as to trying to resolve this issue and getting all caught up in it. And a simple answer or simple question came to them, why were they not getting off the telephone? And they said, why? Your church permitting's on. You're so caught up in this issue. You're forgetting your duty of attending the prayer meeting of the church of Christ. But oh, how that can happen to us. We can be distracted by people provoking us, people oppressing us, people criticizing us. All the trials and temptations of life to distract us from the house of God. Dear believer, don't let this world distract you. There can be unavoidable things that can take our attention. But let us not let the trivial things of life, the oppression of Satan, take us away from our spiritual duty. Let us not let our spiritual activities and our spiritual matters play second fiddle to the issues the adversary is pressing upon us. This was so strong that Hannah wept and she did not eat. The outward evidence then of this fretting and this grief. 
she was in bitterness of soul. Bitterness of soul. Oh, how many of us have been there? Uh, we see that. In verse 7, she wept and did not eat. In verse 8, uh, we see her husband notices her grief. Verse 10, she was in bitterness of soul. How many of us have been there? How many of us have been attacked by others and criticized unjustly? People trying to kick us when we are down because of jealousy or hatred. Dear Christian, dear Christian mother, to bring this back to the context of motherly examples, what about the world constantly trying to bring you into bitterness of soul? You seek to bring your child up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and the world is against you and grieving you. Or that unsaved child that is breaking your heart and causing deep distress. Look at what Hannah did. We see her example here. She rose above the trouble. Dear believer, the trouble can bring us down. The trouble can hurt us. The trouble can grieve us. But it is not to distract us from our God. And what did Hannah do? Verse 10, she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord. She was driven upward toward the Lord, and our deep distresses should always bring us toward the Savior. Hannah, who would be a mother, sets us an example by seeking the Lord in prayer. Scripture does not tell us that she retaliated. Scripture does not tell us that she tried to resolve this by violence or by gossiping against uh, the, uh, the other wife but she turns to the Lord. She looks to Him, the one who can help, the one who can resolve her situation. And dear believer, if you desire to be godly for Christ, a godly Christian mother, or you're struggling with the attacks of the adversary, what should you do? Follow the example of Hannah. Seek the Lord. Pray. Don't let that bitterness of soul overtake you. Pray to the Lord. Cast the burden at His feet. We find that she spoke inaudibly. She spoke silently. Eli could not hear, and he thought that she was drunk. Her lips were moving, but nothing was coming out. But it is a reminder to us of two things. We do not need to pray vocally for the Lord to hear us. Yes, vocal prayers are good. Vocal prayers can focus our minds. Vocal prayers are necessary in the public prayer times of the church and in leading others in prayer. And it is important to pray vocally, but we can also pray silently. We can pray silently as we sit in the pew, praying God would bless His Word to us, praying silently in the workplace about problems that are coming upon us. Prayer is a work that takes place in the heart, in the heart. We can say all manner of nice words, but what about our hearts? True prayer is found in a heart that is fixed toward the Lord. And secondly, we see not only did she pray quietly, and we can pray quietly, but Eli thought that she had been drunk, and he assumed. He assumed something here. He looked at this woman and saw her lips moving, and nothing was coming out, and he assumed something that was wrong. How easy it is for us to assume something about somebody else, to view them, to see them in action, and to not speak to them, but assume that 
Something is seriously wrong. He assumed and he was put right regarding that. We're to take care about assuming things about others. It's a little lesson that comes from this reading and from this portion. But notice verse 11. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou will indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall be no razor come upon his head. She was submissive, a handmaid, a servant, submissive to the will of God. Dear believer, as we seek the Lord, dear Christian mother, seek the Lord. Be a praying mother. Be submissive to the Lord's will. Her desire was that her children would serve the Lord. Our children may not be a prophet in Israel like Samuel was, but our children must be saved, and it should be our desire they would be saved and they would serve the Lord. Are we submissive to God's will? Are we submissive to the will of God to teach our children the things of the Lord, that they would serve Him? Dear believer, in your trials, look to the Savior, look to Christ. We see in verse 18 what happened after this prayer. And we're skipping over the surface really with this situation to bring out the simple truth that a godly example for mothers is to seek the Lord. But notice what happened, verse 18. So the woman went her way and did eat. That was changed. And her countenance was no more sad. That was changed. Because of her encounter not with Eli, but her encounter with God and laying the burden at the feet of the Lord. She could now eat and her countenance was no longer sad. And there's an encouragement for us here when we are burdened down with all the trials and the difficulties and the hardships, the hardships of parenthood. I know parenthood is hard. I've experienced it because I'm the one who's been causing the hardships all those years ago when I was young. It can be difficult. I've seen many parents who have struggled with their children, not because there was some problem with the parent, but rather it was just difficult to handle. And they were struggling. All the difficulties that were coming upon them and uh, what their children were getting involved with, and it was a struggle. It was hard. And there was spiritual concern. What are we to do in all these things? We're to look to the Lord. And then as Hannah, her countenance was no more sad. Look to Him. Dear believer, dear parent, because of our sin and our iniquity, are we not incapable of truly teaching our children, truly bringing them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, truly leaving them a godly example? What about the times in the home when we maybe are not the example we ought to be and the children see that? Let us look to the Lord. The Lord is the one who helps the very same way we can preach and we can minister the Word of God in the pulpit, but yet we're merely a sinner saved by grace but relying upon the help of the Lord. Dear believer, dear Christian parent, dear mother, don't rely on your own strength. Seek the Lord. 
Seek the Lord for His help and His grace in these matters. But secondly, I want you to see, moving to Luke's gospel, chapter 1, we see a mother who praised the Lord. A mother who praised the Lord. Luke's gospel, chapter 1, verses 46 to 55, we have Mary in view. And this brings us to the account of her finding out that she was with child. A unique miracle had taken place. The child within her was conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost. And this chapter, to take a little sample of it in this song, is a chapter of joy, a chapter of happiness, a chapter of rejoicing. John the Baptist leapt in the womb when Mary was there. Mary herself praised God for what He had done and what He was going to do. And this praise was for the specific purpose of the Lord sending His Son into this world to be its Savior. There was a rejoicing. There was a praise for the coming of Christ. And dear believer, is there a joy in your heart this morning in the coming of the Lord? Christ has come. Christ has delivered you. Christ has saved you. Is there joy in your heart because the Lord died upon Calvary to redeem you? Is there joy in your heart when you think that once again Christ is coming to take you unto Himself? He is to be our joy and He is to be our focus in life. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And the verse number 3, Paul is speaking of the true believer. He says, Therefore we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. We rejoice in Christ Jesus. The same word for rejoice in the original Greek is used in Galatians where Paul speaks about glorying in nothing less, boasting in nothing else than the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. His joy, His boast, His glory is in Christ. And Believer, our joy and our boast is to be in Christ. Mary praised the Lord for the coming of Christ. For what the Lord was doing, she was exceedingly glad and rejoiced in God her Savior. And to be a motherly example in godliness, there needs to be a foundation of Christ a foundation by which you can praise Christ and rejoice in Christ. Mary rejoiced in the Lord's salvation. She needed that salvation for she is just a sinner like all of us. She was not sinless. She was not untouched by Adam's sin. And we're reminded of that. Romans 5 verse 12, Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that is the state that man is in. Unbeliever, that's the state of you and your soul, darkened in sin, because Adam's sin has passed upon you, and death has passed upon you. The wages of sin is death. Your soul is darkened by sin, and you need the Christ that is being rejoiced in here in Luke chapter 1. For Ephesians tells us, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. There is salvation. There is forgiveness. Who can obtain that? Who can make that possible? Not us, but Christ. He is the foundation of our faith. The foundation of our faith. 
There are many who say today they are Christians, but yet they know nothing of Christ. They cannot rejoice like Mary here rejoiced in Christ, for they know not Him as their Savior. Do you know Christ? Are you rejoicing in the Savior? Your sins have been forgiven. You're a child of God because of Christ. He is the foundation of our faith and believing parent. He is also the foundation of our families, and He must be the foundation of our families. Is your home a home that loves Christ, a home that boasts in Christ, a home that serves Christ? This is the example we are to have. And believers, set that example. Put Christ first in your own life. Live for Christ. Rejoice in Christ. Yes, the husband, the father, is the head of the home. It is him who is to give that lead in that example. Not every situation is like that. But in general, the believing husband is to set that example. Believing wife, mother, you're to support your husband in that example. To encourage him in that example as he is to encourage you in that example. As your children are led to Christ. As your children see the importance of Christ and the centrality of Christ within the home. Notice what is said here in this song, the verse number 46. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. She was desirous that her soul would make great the Lord. She praised her Lord, but she had good theology also. At verse 49, God is magnified. He's made great, for he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. Verse 51 shows us, verse 50 shows us, the Lord is merciful. His mercy is on them. Verse 51 shows us the mighty God. Verse 52, he hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. God is in control. Verse 53, God provides. He hath filled the hungry with good things. And these are vital truths. She understands who God is, who God is to her, how God operates within this world. Dear believer, our belief should be like Mary, and she is praising God for who He is. There's much more we could say here, but she praised God. She understood who God was and praised Him for His attributes. She praised Him for His salvation. Dear mother this morning, what an example she is to listen to the Word of God, to take His Word, despite how strange that Word may be. And all the consequences of that Word. She was the mother of the Savior. Espoused to Joseph, not married, but found with child. Oh, how strange and how disturbing the Word of God may have been to her and to her heart. But she took it, and she believed it. And then she praised the Lord. She received the Word, she obeyed the Word, and she praised God for His Word. What an example that is to all of us. And what do our children need? They need parents who are submissive to the Word of God. Submissive to the Word of God. We preached on the virgin birth back in December, and at the end of that sermon we said that 
The virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ calls us as His people to submit our minds and our hearts to the Word of God, regardless of how difficult or how extraordinary that may be. Oh, that's the example we have here. The Lord's servant, who despite this extraordinary word, believed it and praised God. Oh, dear believer, take God at His word. Live in obedience to His word and praise Him. And that brings us into our final thought this morning, moving into Timothy, where we read from a few moments ago. We have a mother who witnessed for the Lord. A mother who witnessed for the Lord. We have there 2 Timothy 1, the verse 5, and 2 Timothy 3, verse 15. And we have young Timothy, who from a child knew the Holy Scriptures, which were able to make him wise unto salvation. How did he know that? 2 Timothy 1, verse 5 tells us, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. And if we combine these verses together, we find that Lois, the grandmother of Timothy, had faith, that Eunice, the mother of Timothy, had faith. And as a result of this, in the working of God, however and whenever that may have been, Timothy also had faith because we also read in verse 15 of chapter 3 that he knew the Holy Scriptures from a child. He was taught the way of God from a child by his grandmother and by his mother. Here we have a mother, we could say mothers, who witnessed for the Lord. And, oh, believer, your children may have grown, but there is still a role for you in the spiritual life of your family to pray and to witness to your grandchildren. And these two individuals, Eunice and Lois, they had faith. That is crucial. A mother that believed and a grandmother that believed. And that faith had an outworking. And our faith must always be outworked. There must be that outward manifestation of it in the fruit of the Spirit, yes. But in this context, there was an outworking, a concern for the spiritual state of young Timothy. And believer, does your faith give you a concern for others? Does it give you a concern for your children? Does it give you a concern for others that are within your circle? Oh, there are Christian parents who are more concerned about the education and academic needs of their children. Their energy is focused on those needs. There's a meeting at the church for the children, but there's an important aspect of their education or, or their sports life. Well, what comes first? It can often be the education. It can often be the sport. Children can be sent to all the ministries of the church. And parents can think they're being good Christian parents because their children never miss a service. We don't have that here, but I know churches, they have their Sunday school. They have their youth meetings. They have your youth activities. And they have their meetings during the week for children. Constant activities for the children of the church to attend, and some never miss. But there's a vital point that many forget. The children's ministry of the church does not exist 
to give you some free time, to excuse you from teaching your own children. It's a compliment. It helps parents to educate their children in spiritual things. It can be outreach. It can be evangelism for the local church. But dear believer, your children should be taught by you in whatever other Christian education they receive, whether that is in a school, whether that is in church, it's a complement to that spiritual teaching within the home. Matthew Henry said, public catechism will turn to little account without family catechizing. In other words, the church may catechize, but it's to happen in the home as well. It can happen in the home. Matthew Henry said, bring them, bring the children to the feet of Christ. Take pains to impress upon their minds the indispensable necessity of being taught and ruled by Christ, of their believing His truths and obeying His laws for their present and eternal welfare. And so there is a responsibility not only upon the church, there's a responsibility primarily upon each one of us in our families to teach that younger generation. I believe this is what was happening here with Timothy. There was a motherly example of his mother and grandmother who taught him in the things of God. And by God's grace, there was fruit. In Judges chapter 2, we read of that generation that arose that knew not the Lord. They did not know what He had done for Israel. They were not versed in the Word of God. And there's a warning for us to teach the next generation the way Eunice and Lois taught Timothy, that that generation would be instructed in the way of the Lord. May there be that godliness in instructing and in witnessing to the younger generation. There's much more here. We're, as I said, we're looking basically at these three examples. But what examples they are. Dear believer, do you desire to teach your children and grandchildren the way Timothy was taught? Bringing them to the feet of Christ, urging upon them the importance of the Savior. Those of you men who are married, maybe men who are unmarried also, we're to pray for wives and mothers who are like these examples. Pray that they would know Christ, they would love Christ, they would rejoice in Christ, they would seek Christ in prayer. They would have that desire to teach the younger generation of Christ. We're to pray for wives that are diligent in all these things. Men, you're to pray as well. You'll learn these lessons. These things apply to us. It's not just the women who are to seek the Lord and to praise and to instruct. It's us as well. We've looked at the example of women, but it applies to us. Deuteronomy chapter 4, Deuteronomy chapter 6 reminds us of teaching the children, reminds us of that responsibility. Fathers have the ultimate responsibility before the Lord. And so, men, encourage your spouse in these things. Encourage them and pray for them to be a godly mother. And women, pray for your husband that he would be a godly father. Richard Baxter gave many directions, and our time is gone, but 
He gave directions in instructing in this way. He said, understand and lament the corrupted and miserable state of your children. Focus on Christ and salvation. Teach them of Christ. Train them to obey you and to obey Christ, to break their own wills and desires, to put Christ first. He said to speak with gravity and seriousness concerning Christ and concerning salvation, to speak with reverence, to make it your duty that they would see righteousness and holiness as their duty, to pray much for them, to keep them from ungodly company and influences, to teach them the preciousness of time. He says many other things, many other things. Are we desirous that we would instruct the younger generation as such? When we think of those within the church, that phrase that is found, I believe, in the book of Judges comes to mind, mothers in Israel. We've looked at godly examples, motherly examples in godliness. And the Bible speaks about mothers in Israel, and we can think about mothers within the church. Dear believer, within the church of Christ, are you a spiritual mother? Are you seeking to encourage the young? Are you praying for the young? This week, I attended the week of prayer in Toronto. As I've said, I saw many ladies in a Toronto church do exactly that. They've been faithful. They went the extra mile. That may have been in preparing food. almost struggled to get my suit on this morning because of all the food all week. It was fantastic. They had an international dinner on Thursday evening. I was walking down a massive table of food that would stretch the majority of the width of this church. I had no idea what I was eating. Uh, they have a congregation that have many different backgrounds and cultures, and that comes in regard to food as well, many different types of food. I have no idea what I was eating. I took a bread roll, and I thought, this, is, this looks a really nice bread roll, and I opened it to eat as bread and uh, all this meat, and things fell out. I had no idea what it was. I ate it anyway. It was delicious. I had no idea what I was eating. It was good. And there was fellowship. And that was part of that during the week. There was kindness. There was encouragement. There were individuals coming to me, and I never met them before. And they were saying that they had been praying for me regarding our move to Cloverdale in a few weeks' time. How encouraging that is, mothers in the church. And of course, fathers in the church as well. But mothers within the church of Christ. Are you a spiritual mother within the church? All you may do is simply praying. Praying for a family. Praying for their children. Praying for the pastor. Praying for an aspect of the work of the church. Seeking to be that godly example. Praying for our ministers. Taking the missionary cards. Placing them in your home. Praying over each man. Praying over their children that they would come to Christ. Oh, there's so much that could be done. Be, be a mother within the church of Christ. Be an example in godliness for the glory of Christ. May the Lord bless His word this morning for His name's sake. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank Thee for Thy goodness and Thy grace this morning. We thank Thee that when we consider Mother's Day, and the honoring 
of mothers within society, we thank Thee we can look at Scripture and see what Scripture says about some mothers that are examples to us. Father, teach us these things. Father, whatever our position in life is, according to Thy will, Father, may we be men and women who are fathers and mothers in the church of Christ, seeking to live for Thee, to put Thee first. Father, bless Thy word to us. May live on in our hearts. We pray Thou would part us with Thy blessing. Bring us again to Thy house this night. And may the love of God our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship and precious communion of the Holy Spirit rest, remain, and abide with us all. Amen.